Welcome to the Witty and Gritty Podcast, where we believe that lifelong learning and relentless determination are essential to developing your passions and reaching your goals. Here to help you along the way are the hosts of the show. Take it away, ladies. Hey, y'all. I'm Brooke. And I'm Farron. As educators and high achievers, we're passionate about providing our listeners with effective strategies to help navigate life's obstacles and reach your goals sooner. Join us as we break down credible research that gives you a fresh perspective and challenges your limiting beliefs. Laugh and grow as we share personal anecdotes and interviews from people that have demonstrated what it takes to be successful. By implementing these practices, you will develop your unique skill set and learn how to better serve your community. Get your mind right. And enjoy this time designed just for you. This is episode 126. So we are in our coming towards the end of our 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do mini series by Amy Morin, that book. It's really good. It gives you all the practical things to do that you can do. But then we have had some interviews, this mini series about what to do whenever like you've done all you can. What should what else could we be doing or what should we have been doing the whole time? So today we brought on Lisa Shinrock. Yes, Lisa, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about you and your recent fun move and all the fun family stuff there. Yes, I recently moved to Durham, North Carolina with my son and his wife, Sarah, and our baby girl. It's been a journey. Tell us a little bit about Blake. Yeah, so maybe you can tell us what Blake was like growing up, what he was into, and a little bit about Blake to start. Blake was a mess. He was born in 1991, and he was ornery as all get out. He could look at you and lie and never even flinch. I don't know if you're really supposed to think that's a good quality, but it was a funny quality with him. Um, you never knew what was come out of his mouth. Where did he get that quality from? Did he get that from his uh, We'll just say his daddy, okay, because okay. he's not here to defend himself. <laughs> okay, so Blake was ornery. What else? Exactly. Uh, he was a good kiddo, I tell you. He was my buddy. He loved to shop. Uh, I can remember him telling his friends, you know, they would get all this, these clothes and things, and he was like, well, where did you get them? And they would, Roger Clark was one of them, because he used to always come in on Blake's golf outfits, and he would always say, Blake, where'd you get that? And he said, oh, my mom got it. And he came to him one day and he said, Blake, how do you like my outfit? And he had gone to the PGA Superstore. And Blake said, oh, wow. He said, I just usually go Marshalls. And <laughs> he was probably the only boy his age that knew how to shop Marshalls. So that you was always the right. thing. So yeah, that is right. He played baseball. He, he played golf. He absolutely loved golf. And um, he was a great kid. You know, had a heart for Jesus. Now, yeah. what college did he end up going to again? Uh, Texas A&M. He was an Aggie. I know we Ooh, got some Aggie. what they say? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. I'm not an Aggie, yeah. but I know we got Aggie listeners out there. All right. So, for all we knew, Blake was happy, healthy. And, and uh, tell us a little bit about what happened next. Uh, Blake went to college. He decided to run in a triathlon and he started practicing. That was in September of 2011. Him and his roommate, they would swim every day. They would run every day. They would bike every day. And in April of 2012, they actually competed in a triathlon in Kima, Texas. 
and uh, Blake finished. He was far from first, but the only thing he wanted to do was just finish. That was the accomplishment. So um, we were there to, you know, ag him on, you know, tell him he could do it and all that good stuff. And he finished the race. We loaded this stuff up and we dropped him back off at A&M. And I remember telling him, he was started crying. He's like, Mama, don't cry. I'll be home in 10 days. We got in the car and we drove back. And um, 10 days later, uh, I got a phone call. And it was a doctor in an ER. And he said, are you Blake's mom? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I have Blake here in the ER. And where are you? I said, I'm two hours 30, two hours, 45 minutes away. And he said, we'll get here quick. He wouldn't tell me what had happened. I had no details of anything. I can remember I called Randy on his emergency line because I had one special number that if I had to get a hold of him, I could call that number. And Derek happened to be home that morning. So the three of us left when Randy got home. And by the time we got to the hospital, St. Joseph's in Bryan, Texas, we were met with three doctors. And the first thing they asked us was, does Blake do drugs? And we were like, no, he's just running a triathlon. And they said, well, Blake has had a heart attack. He has coded a total of 12 times now. We don't know how he's here, but he's still here. And they proceeded to tell us different things that had gone on. They were trying to get him stable enough so that we could go and see him. And finally, late that afternoon, we were able to go back. I remember leaning down to him and I got close and I said, Blake, I know you've seen Jesus' eyes, but baby, please don't leave me. I begged and I pleaded. And, you know, now that I look back and I think, if he had already seen Jesus' eyes, why would he ever have looked back? But that sweet boy, he fought for six days. My husband always referred to it as our six days of miracles. Blake should have never survived that first code. You know, but God was very gracious. He was very kind. He allowed us to bring him home to Dallas. And um, on the sixth day, on May 15th, 2012, he went to heaven. So, and that was the day that probably my life was never the same, you know. And it wouldn't be. No one's would be. So, and it came as quite a shock. Healthy guy running a triathlon, all of a sudden, unexplainable heart attack. But somehow, like these little miracles, like Randy called him, y'all were able to take him home. And then on the seventh day, he rested, which is super cool with connection there. So now it's you, Randy, and Derek. What what did y'all do from there? Because this whole mini series is about being mentally strong. Strong was far from what we were. <laughs> You know, Derek was probably the strongest out of all of us. Um, Randy was strong. I was I was not in a good place, you know. I remember Randy getting so angry because he blamed himself because daddies are always supposed to be able to fix things. And this was one thing he could not fix. And, you know, from the very beginning, I prayed that God would never let me be angry, never let me be bitter. 
because the last thing I wanted was to disappoint Blake because he'd always tell me, Mama, you got to find somebody to invest in just because I'm at school doesn't mean you can't love someone. And I could hear his voice in the background, you know, just whispering in my ear almost. But um, it was a really crazy time. Derek and Sarah got married about a week and maybe three days after Blake passed away. And they got married. They lived with us until July. And Sarah moved to North Carolina to start her PhD. And then a few weeks later, Derek joined her. And, you know, during that time after Derek left, Randy went back to work. And I can remember sitting at home alone and the walls just started caving in. I remember telling Randy one night, I said, I've never felt Satan more present in my life than I do right now. And it was so scary. I had never felt Satan like that. And I can remember that sweet husband of mine. He went in every single room and every closet and he prayed Satan out. And um, some way, somehow, we survived that, you know, and God began to, to speak to me, or at least I think I began to listen to him. I remember one morning, I was meeting a friend in Rockwell because she wanted me to go shopping. That was the last thing I wanted to do, but I knew I needed to get out. As I'm driving to Rockwall over Lake Ray Hubbard, the sun started shining in. And I remember just starting to pray. And I mean, like, really pray. I said, you know, Lord, I know I'm not going to be happy for a long time, but would you just please give me my joy back? Because the, that was the one thing I realized when Blake died, my joy, I thought, had died with me. And um, I met my friend at the first store, and we were in there a little while, and we were looking around. And a little sheet of paper was on one of the, the little end caps, and it just simply had the word joy on it, handwritten. I remember thinking, well, that is so weird. I'll let that go. And we left there, and then we went down the street, went to TJ Maxx, and it was October. And, you know, in October, there's pumpkins, there's Halloween and everything. And on this display of all these pumpkins and scarecrows, there was this little black frame and it had the word joy pictured in it. I remember thinking, oh, good Lord, it's October. Did you hear me? We left that store and I still haven't seen any of my friend. And we walked into Kirkland's. And as soon as we walked in the door, there was a huge sign over the door that said joy. And my friend turned around and she said, is it not the strangest thing? It's October and we're seeing all these joy signs. I said, no, not at all. I said, you know, I prayed on the way here that God would give me my joy back. And she said, well, you know, girl, I think he hurts you. And I think he's, I think he's answering that. Because in those early days, I'd pray every day, okay, Lord, just show me just a little joy. And I thought, you know, once Christmas came and gone, all the joy would just be disappeared but that word kept popping up in crazy crazy places and then people would start saying oh look look where I found joy today and you know it was really cool because that joy was spreading what we're hearing is that you you prayed every day even like it's just a step by step just just today just today can I feel a little joy here a little joy see a little joy you had your spouse pray and I like how you prayed through the whole house I think, I think people don't know that they can do that. You can do that. You can pray everywhere and you can pray intentionally with different places in your house, in your car, wherever, because if that's your place you want to protect, get God in there. 
And then, so you, you prayed, your husband prayed, and then your friend was like, all right, Lisa, we're going. Get your boots. Let's go. So you had that friend who could read you and understand you, and maybe you weren't going to say, hey, I want to go do something. But that friend was able to pick up on things. And even on a broader perspective, everybody caught on to that joy theme. So then you were getting messages or calls or pictures. So then it brought it to the community level too, which is really neat. I remember that. And I remember like feeling joy and it wasn't even like for me, (laughs) but it was cool how it just, it does, it spreads and it's infectious for sure. And so what year, what year was that when, when Blake died? 2012. 2012. That was arguably one of the hardest things you had gone through. Can you ever can you tell the story about the box under the Christmas tree and then what yes. the church helped put on in response to that? When Blake was 10 years old, he wrapped a Christmas present. He wouldn't tell anybody what was in the box. And I can realize one day, well, just what is it, Blake? He's what's between me and Jesus. And so every year from the time he was 10 years old, we would bring that box out and it would go underneath the tree. And the Christmas, or actually, I guess it was, he passed away in May of 2012, and a year later in August, we moved to Borneo. And me and Randy are out in the garage. It's probably 125 degrees, you know, and we're going through all this stuff in the Christmas boxes. And then all of a sudden, I found the box that was addressed to Jesus. And I looked at Randy. I said, you know what? I'm opening it. I've got to see what's in this box. So I can remember opening that box. And all it was was a little purple sticky note that said, tell the world about Jesus. And it was dated December 25th. It's really cool because during that time we had been planning Blake's run. We wanted to do something to honor God and to honor Blake and to remember. And we just couldn't come up with anything to raise money for. And then it was like Blake said, well, here you go. Here's another nudge. This is what you need to do. And so we would send high school and college age kids all over the world to tell the world about Jesus. And so that's where Blake's Run came about. So that is an event that our church puts on every year around the time of the release of this episode. It's not too late Mm -hmm. to sign up, people, if you're hearing it right now, because it's November 13th of 2021 is this year's Blake's Run. And it's just, I like how you guys have intentionally made it enjoyable for everybody so it's a way to honor people but also to visit communicate have fun with it as well that's right and you're carrying on his mission right tell the world about i'm trying (laughs) you're doing a great job okay so so that happened with blake you randy Derek, y'all are all doing those step-by-step things we talked about to get through leaning on god and then Mm -hmm. now let's move on to randy and your story with Randy. And just a reminder, Randy is Lisa's husband. Yes. Yes. Um, Randy ended up getting COVID from a business trip in November. Of 2020. Uh, of 2020, yes. The wonderful 2020 COVID pandemic, yes. And he developed the pneumonia with it, so he went in the hospital and he stayed there for several days. He did all of the treatments that they had, and he was fighting so hard to come home. And 
the day that he was supposed to be released, he started swelling and his lung had punctured. And from there, it just kind of started going downhill. I remember Christmas Day, he was he was on oxygen. He was still, you know, trying his best to recover, but he couldn't talk that day. And then the next day it seemed a little worse. <clears throat> and then on December 27th at 3 a.m., I get a phone call that said, you've got to tell him it's okay for me to be in. And she said, here, I'm FaceTiming. I'm FaceTiming. Talk to him. Tell him. Tell him. Tell him. I've got to be in I'm going to lose him. And I looked at him and I said, Randy, just let them, let them, they're trying to help you. And the last thing he gave me was a thumbs up, you know. And they put him on a vent that morning. And by two o'clock that afternoon, the doctor had called and they said he was not doing well, that I needed to come and um, make some, some decisions. And I remember Randy Wade went up there. They actually let me go in and see him, and Randy went with me. They, we looked like we were in hazmat suits. It was crazy, all the stuff they had us put it on. Then I remember going in there, and he was on his stomach. And I told him, I said, Sugar, I said, it's okay. I said, I'm going to miss you so much. I said, but you're going to see Blake soon. In some way, somehow, I'm going to be okay. I said, but if you have any fight left in you, Please stay with me. I said, you make me a promise. You promised me you were going to come home. And we don't break promises. Well, I went out of the room and went in where the doctors were. And they wanted me to sign a, a DNR. And it seemed like the right thing to do at the time. So I went ahead and did all that paperwork. And... He was still alive the next morning. And my friend said, okay, you call him back and you tell him to take the DNR off. You know, he's not done yet. And I can remember the doctor being very angry with me, telling me, you know, that was a mistake. And, but, you know, when you love somebody, you want to give them every chance they have. And, you know, he was my person. He was my best friend. We got married when I was 19 years old. He wouldn't have given up on me. So there was no way I was going to give up on him. But um, it was really crazy. We were praying for him to get transferred because his kidneys had started to fail. And he needed to be on continuous dialysis. And, you know, I was out on my porch on Sunday. I cannot... For the life of me right now, I remember the date. I have so many crazy dates in my head. But um, it was on Sunday after New Year's, if that makes sense. So it was probably like the, the second, maybe, January. And I can remember praying, Lord, I said, I need you to get Randy moved and get him moved now. I said, I want you to move him in a way where the whole world knows it was you, Lord. And I walked back in the house, and within a few minutes, my phone rang, and he had a transfer. They said, you know, they don't know how. We don't know really what's going on, but they had some way found him a transfer to Baylor Plano. So we were just, we were beyond thankful. And I can remember me and my son, we got in the car because we were going to follow the ambulance. So we'd speed over to Raleigh. 
and we're waiting in the parking lot. We're waiting, waiting, waiting. Nothing ever happens. And so I call up there because I got to know him pretty well by name. So I talked to Andrew. I said, Andrew, what's going on? And he said, oh, we just got to find um, a medic to come along. I said, okay. Well, Derek and I finally went back home. And around 11.45, they got him transported over to Baylor Plano. And they got him somewhat stable. He was almost dead, I found out later. But the next morning, I called to check on him. And the nurse, her first thing she said was, we don't know why he's here. And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, he was rejected. She said, you know, the doctor said that they would not accept him, you know, because of the stage that he was in. I said, okay. And she said, you can come up here. And so I went up there. And when I walked in the room, the doctor there said, we don't know why he's here. I said, okay. I said, you know, you're like the second or third person that said that. Why do you keep saying, what's going on? And they said, well, he was rejected in the hospital and Rollette sent him anyway. And so I'm like, that's God. I said, I prayed that prayer. He got him there whenever they said no. And he had answered that prayer because I said, I want the world to know that it was you. And that's the only way Randy ever got to Plano. And now looking back, I know he got there not for him, but he got there for us. Because at Plano, every other day, me and my son could go spend time with him. We got to tell him how much we loved him. You know, I got to hold his hand. It had been so long since I'd held his hand. First time in my life I've ever seen him with fingernails. He always bit his fingernails. And I, I can remember, I'm going to take a picture of those fingernails. He's going to need to see that whenever he wakes up. So, but um, he stayed on the vent there. He would have good days, bad days. And then on the morning of January 14th, the doctor called and he said he wasn't doing very well. And me and my son went up there and we got to be in the room with him when he passed away. And I'm thankful for that. But, you know, I really struggled because I thought, you know, God, you took Blake. Was that not enough? I never in my wildest dreams thought he would take Randy, too. And, you know, then your mind starts thinking, you think, well, what did I do wrong? You know, I should have done this or I should have done that. Or I'm such a bad person. God is punishing me. And I remember talking to Randy White about it. He said, now, Lisa, you did this with Blake. Remember, it has nothing to do with you. It was all about me. You have gone through just with, well, with Blake, absolutely. That it was just shocking. And then with Randy, it was such a roller coaster. So the whole community, the whole church is rallying behind this whole <laughs> situation. <laughs> and it's a roller coaster of all the emotions <laughs> and all of the possible outcomes. So <laughs> in those moments, you mentioned praying, rallying around the community. What would your advice be to someone who is on the roller coaster right now? Like right now, they're in it. What would you say to them? Hang on tight. It's not easy. And if you don't know Jesus, you better get to know him. Because without him, you will not survive. I have a, a friend that just lost her husband recently. And, you know... I can remember people asking me, you know, what kind of advice do you have? And I'm like, hang on. Just hang on. That's all you can do. 
Yeah, I think I think sometimes we try to overcomplicate it. Like you need to do this whole checklist of things when really it's yes. just you can pray, hey, can you get me through the next five minutes? Yes. One minute, 30 seconds. So I know you mentioned people have asked you for advice all the time with mm-hmm. whether it's losing a child, losing a husband. Mm-hmm. How are you staying afloat? What Do you have some just quick pro tips on what you could do? We've hit praying. We've hit community. Uh, what else would you say? Uh, if you've lost a child, uh, find people that have also lost a child because they're really the only ones that understand. I am a member of While You're Waiting. It's a group of people. It's on a Facebook. And it's from people that know where you're at. Because unless you lost a child, you think you understand but there's no way you can understand the depth of it. You know, even though you might have loved that child like their own, you know, it's just, it's different. It is different. And as a wife losing her husband, the number one things that I wish I would have known is how important a power of attorney is. That is like the golden ticket. I did not have one with Randy and it made things very, very difficult. And I could not get anybody of his work to talk to me. You know, they had to prove I was his wife, even though they knew I was his wife. They had to, um, all this time, you know, and then you would go through things. You know, know your passwords. We live in a world today that our whole life is in a password. And if you don't know your password, you don't know where the keys of the kingdom are. I had a good friend that told me that. He said, you know, your passwords today are your keys to the kingdom. And I knew none of Randy's passwords. Know what you have. And nobody wants to think about their spouse passing away. But be prepared. You know, and just learn to um, take it a day at a time. And just let Jesus work in you. You know, one thing I've learned through Blake and through Randy is God never wasted hurt. If you will allow him to use your pain, he'll make something beautiful out of it. Right. And there's a million verses that back that up, which I That's love. Right. You're paraphrasing scripture right now. Uh, we talk on the show a lot about how some people's battle turns into other people's blueprint. So yeah. what you, what struggle you're going through, I love how you guys have leveraged that you've leveraged it with Blake's run. You're leveraging Randy right now by telling the world, Hey, here are some spiritual things to do, but also here are some practical things on the side that no one knows to tell you this. Hey, but no, the passwords that makes sense. You don't think about it until you're like, well, dang, Trying to get into Disney Plus again, and I can't. <laughs> exactly. That is wrong. So, Lisa, um, just one more question. I know we said last question, but how about one more? <laughs> last, last question. So, you know, there's people that obviously have loved and cared for you and your family. And during these times, they want nothing more but to help and show their love. Um, it, are there things that you found really helped, like the friend reaching out, whether it was the first time she reached out or the seventh time she asked you to go shopping 
Are there ways that were more helpful? I don't know that you'd want to share ways that weren't, but you know, for the other people in your life that want to love you well during this time. And it might depend on personality too. So listeners take that into account, but what would, <laughs> what would you say to that, Lisa? I would tell their friends to not quit asking. Just keep asking them, keep calling them, keep praying for them. You know, don't look at them and say you understand if you really don't understand, you know, and one of the fun things or not really fun things we talked about in grief group was it's okay to laugh. It's okay to smile. And it's okay to tell the same stories over and over because as other people have children and their families, they get new memories every day. You don't get new memories. So I would tell people be kind, just be kind. And even if you've heard that story a hundred times, act like it's the first. Mm-hmm. That's good. I like how you've also mentioned you've you've joined online groups and you have also joined an in-person grief group. So listeners hear that as well. There are other ways that you can connect if you're not plugged into a church or if you don't have a counselor on hand. Those are easy ways. And I know Facebook groups are free and I, I assume your grief group might be free too. Uh, it was through Sea Life. Yeah, we, Randy and I started the, the grief group at Sea Life, and now they're still doing it. I don't, I don't remember what they call it now. It might be under the umbrella of journey groups. It is under that umbrella, yes, exactly. So, and it's helpful because, you know, one thing that we learned is a lot of people don't want to talk about it or mention the name because they think it's going to worry you or upset you, but it actually brings you peace whenever you say, oh, you know what? I remember when Blake did this and it might be a story you've never heard, you know, and in grief group, you were allowed to tell your story, whether you told the same story every week, everybody listened because you just want to be able to talk about it and not see people cringe. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. That's really practical advice, which our listeners also love very much. Yes. Every story I tell, I hope people don't cringe. (laughs) So although I have not been what you've been through, I understand not trying to make people cringe. So yeah, no cringe. (laughs) That may have been a harsh word. (laughs) Well, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for being vulnerable. There's power in vulnerability. And we are already praying over this episode and all the people who are going to hear it. And thank you again so much. Yes. And we'll link all the stuff, people. We'll link all the groups and all the places and all the things. And Blake's Run. That's a great way yep. if you feel moved by Lisa's message to give back to something we're all passionate about, but especially Lisa and her family. Yes. All right. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Y'all be good. We help hardworking Christian women get the growth they want by giving them the tools they need in order to have more joyful lives. We love providing our Christian-based personal growth podcast to our listeners at no cost. If you are enjoying the content, please consider supporting our mission by donating to our Patreon. We're a small team creating the show for our community by researching, recording, and producing the episodes ourselves. Any amount is greatly appreciated. Your support will help offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you can receive exclusive access. For more details on specific membership tiers, visit our Patreon page. Go to patreon.com forward slash witty and gritty. We've included the link in the show notes.